0: A child being murdered is shocking to everyone. When two child siblings are murdered, people start to speculate on the identity of the murderer. When the murderer is revealed to be a family member, people make assumptions. But what if the family dynamic was not as first portrayed and the perpetrator was themselves actually a child? This is the case of Aza Ray Vidinar, and this is Murder Me on Monday.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Murder Me on Monday podcast. I'm Cameron, and joined with me is Mother. Hello. This month being October, last year we did Spooky Month, where every case that we covered was relatively spooky. The Winchester House. Some guy I thought was a werewolf. Yep. There's no more cases. There was, there was a Santa guy who tried to blow his cock off, but apart from that, there was nothing else. You set his pants on fire, that was it. There's nothing else, really. You struggled. There's like one case might be doing towards the end of the month. Yeah. I just thought I'd mention that now.
0: As you know, I like to look for something that's got an unusual twist to it. That's why we do these cases. And there's only one that I can find, and it's a little bit out there. I think it's very... It's Yeah. It's Is it the-
1: tangential to Spooky Month?
0: No, it all happened on the 31st. But... There are some very strange, uh, shall we say, underworld? underworld type maybe. So there's extra research to be done because I'm not sure that the whole thing's actually what it's portrayed as. Okay. I've gone down some really weird holes in that one. But thank you to everyone for the continued support by downloading episodes, following us on social media and over on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you not only support our efforts, but also gain access to extra perks such as early access to episodes, bonus content and even stickers should you want them. Just drop us a line when you sign up, giving us your address. If you can't help support us on Patreon, please do continue to support us by leaving reviews if you can. It does help keep us going. Going to say straight off, I had never heard of this case. And it becomes much more than the opener would suggest. Our fact checker, Cameron, asked me how I found it. And to be honest, I've no flipping clue. I read a lot of forums, save a lot of links, fell down all sorts of strange rabbit holes looking for cases that are that little bit different. It's definitely not one that a listener has suggested. I do keep a track of those. And thank you to everyone that tells me about cases from their parts of the world. It's really appreciated. There is one chapter in a book called Killer Kids, volume 12, I think it is, which I have read. That's it. One podcast, I think. Because the case involves children, some of the information is very hard to come by. So there are gaps and some strange reporting. Let me take you to West Point, not the military academy that the name immediately makes you think of that is actually in New York, but a small town in Utah about 25 miles north of Salt Lake City. Wikipedia, as we all know, is not that accurate. According to that site, this town was named after the academy, consists of 11,000 people or maybe 6,000. Again, that site can't make its mind up. Also, the town was settled in 2003, which obviously makes no sense. The town's own website looks like it's from the 1980s. I can't tell you much except that in 2013 there lived the Widenhaar family. Can't tell you where they're from or if they were lifelong residents. The family consisted of dad who was an engineer in the military, really not sure what branch, and mum who seemed to be a stay-at-home mother and not surprising because they had six children. Asa being the oldest. The children. Well, the family had Asa, then went on to have another son. And then I believe adopted one boy called Alex, then adopting three siblings, two girls and a little boy called Benji being the youngest. I believe Benji and his sisters entered the care system when he was about 18 months old. On paper, These kids really had been adopted by a good couple who wanted to give them the best. They attended as a family a local Baptist church, spent a lot of time outdoors, out enjoying the wide open spaces that Utah has. Dad was a big marathon runner, and they generally lived a good, fulfilling life. On paper. In reality, they, as a family, would have had problems. Benji and his sisters, I know, were adopted from foster care. They had been taken from a woman with chronic, chronic drug abuse problems. We know what damage drug taking can cause a fetus in utero. And Benji seems to have had some mild learning difficulties. And Alex, the older child who was also adopted, is said to have also had the same problems But nothing is known about his adoption or background except that he was adopted at birth. The children went to a local school, yet mum is said to have also homeschooled them. What that meant, were they out of school at different times in odd chunks, or if they went part-time, or if she took them out of classes she disapproved of? No idea. It's really odd phrasing with the reporting on that.
1: Have they mentioned any permanent residency for the family? Because the dad being in the military could have moved, which could explain the homeschooling. If they spend XYZ stationed here and then sometimes stationed there, there might not be schooling local, so she could have homeschooled them.
0: Really good point. Really good point. Honestly, the amount of reading I did around this case is actually quite difficult because it's children. There's no mention of that.
1: Otherwise it would seem weird just to intermittently take a child out to homeschool them.
0: Yeah. It was odd. The youngest girls were dancers. Lots of little girls love to dance. And so in the late afternoon of the 23rd of May, 2013, the girls had a dance recital. Dad is off on active duty in Alabama. And mum decided to leave the boys together and take the girls out around 4.45pm, putting Asa in charge. He was 15. Not unreasonable for a few hours, is it? Mum gets home with the girls around 8pm and walks in and finds little Benji, aged four, dead in the living room in a pool of blood. She calls 911. No sign of Asa or Alex and she immediately thinks they've been kidnapped, which is logical on the surface, isn't it? Police turn up and do a thorough search of the house. Definitely no Asa but they do find the body of Alex, aged 10, in the basement living area, similarly deceased. The other brother is never mentioned. If he wasn't in the house or with friends, no idea. It's swiftly discovered that Asa had gone missing once before in 2011, aged 12. He ran away from home and then there was a huge police and community search that was all over the press. And he was found four miles from home a few hours later, sat in a Wendy's. Police discover Asa's bike is missing and declare him to be a person of interest in the case. Around 11.30pm that same night, Aza was found just walking along a street in a place called Layton, about nine miles from home, and taken to a local hospital to be evaluated for minor injuries he had. What those injuries were has also not been clarified, but from pictures at the time, there appeared to be scrapes on his arms, and there is speculation about wounds on his hands.
1: Have you seen or heard about We Need to Talk About Kevin?
0: I've heard about it. I'd never watched it. The premise alone gave me the heebie-jeebies.
1: Which is good for a movie if it's giving you that kind of feeling. It's working as a movie. Yeah. You're immersed into it, at least. And it's really weird that it was Ezra Miller, and this guy's called Aza, and Ezra Miller turned out to be a little bit of a weirdo in Hawaii himself. I'm just saying. But it's given those kind of vibes. A 15-year-old that's harmed a younger sibling that goes on to do potentially more. I know in the movie, I think he turned out to be a school shooter in the end, I think. I think he blinded, or partially blinded, the younger sibling
0: that would fit completely and utterly dovetails with this. And we've just revealed the whole episode, but never mind, shall we? on?
1: there's like one person (laughs) we're talking about. He's obviously done it. It's just the rest of the case is talking about it.
0: This bit is rather disconcerting, and I don't have an answer for this because the fact checker asked me why this happened. The bodies of those little boys laid in that house until 8.20 the next morning when they were taken to the morgue. Why they were left there all night...
1: I do not know. How I- big's the town?
0: It's, it's on Wikipedia. Between six and 10,000 people.
1: Might not have had the staff to do it.
0: They would have had the staff.
1: Rather than have someone that doesn't know what they're doing come in and contaminate stuff, you would hope you can have a more senior person, maybe someone that comes in from out of town. Or because the dad's in the military, he might need some sort of military police intervention type thing. I'm just thinking about what could be on the fringe.
0: Again, very good points to both of them. You may well be right. Yeah, they may have needed in forensic specialists from outside of, outside of state. Yeah. The police do find two knives that they believed were used in the murders at the scene, and they also find blood evidence on Aza. Aza is held in a juvenile facility whilst everyone wonders what the heck happened and how. Dad does give an interview where he said that Aza had always been a good kid and that the family wanted Aza to be charged as a minor The reason was so he could get help for whatever mental issues he may have and have a second chance of life. I think the assumptions that having mental issues they didn't even know he had would be a natural reaction to such a crime as you cannot envisage your son killing his younger siblings. So he must have had an illness or mental health problems, yeah? They were actually closer to the mark than they realised. June of 2013... Asa was charged with two counts of murder. And then that leads to the next problem. Was he a child or an adult? Under Utah law, people convicted and sentenced in the juvenile system are released from custody when they turn 21, regardless of the crime or the risk they may pose to the public.
1: There has to be exceptions to that somewhere. That, that can't be a blanket, more statutory thing, can it?
0: Well, this is where other things come into play. If that's
1: the case, I'm a gang member. Everyone in my gang's under 21. Everyone is, because they can't get arrested, and when they do, they they get out potentially a couple of months later.
0: Yeah, that is a problem. But a 15-year-old certified to stand trial as an adult would be placed in an adult detention facility, even while still a teen, and could be sentenced to a maximum of life in prison. The prosecution were worried. Neither of those alternatives were attractive, was the quote. They said that based on the evidence as they knew it at the time, concern for public safety was paramount and they would look to have ASA certified as an adult. That says that there was a whole lot more to it than what they were willing to reveal. By November 2013, the judge in the trial barred the statement that Asa made when he was found by the police. Interestingly, though, he noted that if Asa testified in court and made contradictory statements, the suppressed interview could be used to impeach him. So basically, do not get on the stand. Police screwed up big time. It turned out that Asa had told the police he didn't want to answer questions. He wanted to sleep and he did. Yet they woke him up twice and then continued to harass him until he did make a statement. It's not just one police officer. There were multiple detectives
1: there. Would the argument be that it's under coercion?
0: He wouldn't have been represented, even if his Miranda rights had been read to him. Read to him. They broke so many rules there doing that. I can't even begin. So the judge kind of gave the prosecution a, you can kind of have it, but only if he contradicts himself on the stand. So the hint was, no matter what you do to the defence, do not let him get on the stand. Because I can't believe the police... Well, I can actually, but that's a whole other argument. June of 2014. The defence wants the case closed to the public. The press obviously wanted it open. The judge was about to make a ruling on that before the start of the trial when suddenly a plea agreement was struck. It was very unusual. Aza pleaded guilty in juvenile court to one count of murder and in adult court to the second count about 90 minutes later. Under the deal, Aza was to remain in the Farmington Bay Youth Detention Centre until he was 21 or unless he failed to follow through with treatment or causes his problems. And if he did so, he would then be transferred to the adult system. He was 16 at the time, so he had to keep his nose clean for five years in the youth system, which is obviously much more lenient. Then he would get transferred to the adult system, where he had been sentenced to 15 years to life. But his defence lawyers indicated that they would automatically apply for parole, and to be honest, he probably would have been given it, and we would hear no more about him, and our episode would be over. But we're not quite finished. He lasted three months in the juvenile system. 1st of November 2014, Asa attacked another inmate with a broom handle whilst in juvenile detention. He was found to be in violation of the plea agreement and was transferred to the Utah State Prison. 12th of January 2021. Asa's now in the adult system. There is an argument going on between prisoners. Happens all the time. After the argument was over, Asa asked this 35-year-old inmate to come inside his cell. The guy refused. This upset Asa who then attacked the other inmate, slamming the man's head into a wall. Aza was captured on security camera, punching the man in the face whilst this guy was trying to back away. Aza also punched him in the back of the head as he turned away, knocking him to the ground and continued to punch and kick him when he was on the floor. He later tells officials he would have killed the guy if he'd had enough time. Asa is charged and, as he was now an adult, aged 22, all the other stuff about the first murders comes out. It turns out that the prosecution had described Asa as being someone with no empathy or remorse who has a callous indifference towards life and towards others. They called him there after stabbing one of his brothers 88 times and the other 28 times, before leaving the knife stuck in one of their necks. A prosecutor said that Asa had actually planned on killing his brothers earlier because they'd had the television up too loud. Other reports state it was an argument over the TV remote control. Asa also told investigators that he really didn't care how his parents had felt about the murders of Alex and Benji. Defence attorneys, however, painted a picture of a boy with serious mental health issues that went undiagnosed and untreated until his arrest and whose immaturity and personality disorders made him seem cold because he was incapable of articulating his feelings. He got an extra five years for that attack on that inmate and it was to come into effect before the 15 years for killing his brothers. So he has five years at a minimum to do and then maybe 15, maybe parole. Well, he lasted three months in juvenile detention, didn't he? So he managed five years in the adult prison system. What's the betting he will stay clear of trouble? We're not finished yet. March of 2021, three months, three bloody months. Asa entered another inmate's cell. He shuts the door behind him, holding a cord in his hands. Where he got that from, who knows? He tells the man, who was 66 years old, that he had already killed two young people and now wanted to fulfil his dream of killing someone old with his hands. Asa tells him he was going to kill him. Asa wrapped the cord around this man's neck. The man is obviously struggling. And Asa tells him to stop fighting and just let me kill you. Another inmate who was walking by heard the victim yell, help me, this guy is going to kill me. And dashes off to find a prison officer who accompanies him back to the cell. The prison officer manages to get the door open and he and the other prisoner can still hear the man crying out but very weakly. The other prisoner helped the prison officer pull Asa off that man.
1: Do you know what category the prison was? No. I assume he got the cord from a kettle. Oh. Because they do allow some prisoners to have kettles depending on the category of the prison. Whether or not they think they're violent. But if he's shown violence before, he probably wouldn't have been allowed it. So the whole prison will not be allowed it because they kind of put them together. But otherwise it would have been a kettle cord because you can always unplug those from the base of the kettle then unplug it from the wall and you've just got a cord. But I don't know why violent prisoners would have had access to that.
0: Yeah, because my first thought was they're not allowed things that they could possibly hang themselves with. That was where my brain went. I never even thought That's only
1: if they thought to be a concern to themselves, though.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a very good point. Cord is never...
1: Commissaries usually stock things like ramen noodles and stuff. A lot of prisoners want to have two kettles. They've got one for tea and coffee and one for food. Yeah. But they'll put, like, the, the whole noodles into the kettle.
0: Yeah. Do you know you should never, ever make coffee... In hotel rooms.
1: Is that because I don't clean the glasses or something or the mugs?
0: No. People boil underwear in the
1: kettles. Oh,
0: yeah, I never knew that. Do now. Asa isn't that big. He's around five foot nine, around 160 pounds, 12 stone, 72 kilograms. 72 yeah. kilograms. Yeah, I think they are older stats, as in more recent mugshots, he looks like he's lost some weight. So maybe a change of meds, but he absolutely could have killed that guy if that man was frail as well as older. July of 2021, Asa was charged with attempted murder, aggravated kidnapping, which were both first degree felonies. Then it goes dark, I cannot find anything else about what happened to him. Even the Utah State Prison System inmate tracker only shows that he is in the Utah State Correctional Facility and his release date is marked as N.A. or not available. Our fact checker asked me about the plea deal when he was 15 and I did wonder if that was about rehabilitation and being able to finish his education in the juvenile system. It ended up being a moot point didn't it after three months but I suspect that was the hope behind the deal. He is obviously way way more dangerous than anyone wanted to admit. Can't be rehabilitated so I suspect we will hear more about him again in years to come.
1: Looking at pictures of him I also get Jeffrey Dahmer kind of look from him. He's got the moppy hair and glasses.
0: You've just pinched half of what I was going to talk about in Patreon, but we'll get there in a few
1: minutes. And apparently he goes on to shave his head, so he looks much more prisony. But based on Evan Peters' depiction of Jeffrey Dahmer in yeah, the Netflix show, he looks a lot like him, the moppy hair and glasses.
0: Yeah. I do feel really sorry for his parents, even if they perhaps didn't get him help. Maybe when they should have done. It's really hard to admit a child has issues for some people. But no one expected him to become a family annihilator or a serial killer, did they?
1: They're going to feel guilty by bringing in the sheep to the wolves, aren't they? They brought in these two young kids. Yeah. To someone that exists in your family already that then did it. They're going to feel guilty. They're going to feel like they brought him to them or them to him.
0: Yeah, that's exactly where my brain went. Going back to the Dharma look, you, you were right. His early pictures show his glasses getting thicker and thicker. And say that unfortunately, that last mug shot, it's full on Dharma. But I don't know if that's the style the state provides for prisoners' glasses. I don't know how that works. When he got that deal to go into the youth system and then onto the adult one, it was known that ASA was on medication. What it was or what it was for wasn't revealed. But the judge wanted to make sure Asa understood what he was agreeing to with that deal and asked him if that medication impeded his ability to understand the plea deal. His response? Kind of helps it actually, told the judge. Does make you wonder what he was on.
1: It could be along the lines of SSRI's increasing suicide rates because it gives people motivation and energy to actually do it. So, because of the meds that he was on, it could have made him feel numb to stuff more. If it suppresses the other stuff that he's got wrong with him, but it also makes him sort of more numb to emotion, that's why it could make it easier.
0: But his problem in the beginning was always that he couldn't relate to emotions. That's why he didn't care about what his parents were going through. The fact he was 15 and exploded in the rage that he did, killing the kids, was. Well, teenagers have rages. I do wonder if you've been planning it for a long time. Where was that older brother? Why wasn't he at home? Would he have been a target? I actually doubt that. Could he be a psychopath? I think that's probably a given, isn't it? We know that they don't like to diagnose children with that, but from the age of 12 or so, they can usually tell if someone is going to develop it researchers estimate about 1% of the adult population may meet the criteria for psychopathy psychopathy is more common among males than females but it's not strictly a male disorder as adults people with psychopathy may be diagnosed with an antisocial personality disorder antisocial personality disorder is a personality-based diagnosis Psychopathy is more of a behavior-based condition. Some studies suggest that children with callous and unemotional traits may be hardwired a little differently. Their brains react differently to fear, sadness and negative stimuli. They also have difficulty recognizing other people's emotions. That's Asa all over. When Asa ran away, all the reporting says that the family turned to faith-based help. Like church counselling? That's not going to help. Dad's in the military. I assumed that there were mental health provisions for family of military members.
1: But if none of them is aware that anything is going on...
0: I... yeah. There's something...
1: Because if there were certain behaviours displayed before, then I doubt they would have brought two young kids into the environment, especially ones that have come from drug-addicted parents, where you don't know what sort of developmental stuff they're going to have and they're going to be vulnerable. I doubt they would have done that in the first place. I'm also kind of surprised that they were allowed to adopt the kids in the first place because if the dad being in the military, he's probably prone to moving. And having that nuclear, stable family that doesn't go anywhere would be something that the adoptive services would look for. But then again, because he's in the military and a stay-at-home mum, they might look at that fondly.
0: Again, you could be very, very right on both points, but I've suddenly realised, because duh, the timeline would be... Benji was adopted when he was 18 months old, or put into the foster care system when he was 18 months old. He was killed when he was four. When Asa ran away, he was 12. That would kind of fit in... With, with the, the
1: three, two and a half year yeah. times, time span, yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, he probably already had Alex and maybe cope with one extra brother but then suddenly having it's like blended families when people get you know remarried it can be a real strain on everybody because you're trying to force something that hasn't been allowed to grow organically as a relationship between people
1: yeah if you have two families that have routines separate from each other and they suddenly combine they're going to start conflicting especially if he's sort of 12 and he sort of had his life built up to a certain point and then he gets like another new sibling disturbs it. Someone who might struggle with not having things in his routine.
0: Yeah. I think therapy should have been automatically suggested.
1: But again, that's only if he actually displays behaviours that are going to be negative in the first place. I don't think he ran away but it might be uncommon now but how uncommon is it for a kid to want to run away and a kid actually goes and does it so it might not be considered... I
0: would say 90% of kids want to run away. I did.
1: Uh, Angsty angsty teens have had no hormones whatsoever. They suddenly get them. They go a bit mental, don't they? Yeah,
0: exactly. One thing that did puzzle me was when the police turned up at the house to discover Benji and Alex had been murdered, they knew that Acer had gone with his bike, and yet there's never any mention of the bike thereafter. He was found walking along this street. So whether he got a puncture, whether he ditched it, I don't know. It was just one of those things that was all over multiple news reports and then it's never mentioned again. And (coughs) that's what happened to the bloody bike just because I'm weird. And so that really is the end of the episode. But I doubt it's the last we'll ever hear of ASA. And finally, the victims who should not be forgotten. Alexander, aged 10 and Benji, aged four
1: there is the end of the podcast thank you very much for listening you can find us on twitter and instagram at murder me and monday podcast our patreon is in the description below if you want more content show us support if you are on the patreon hang around because we'll be doing the case autopsy peace